Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome back. Last week, I sat down with Melina Malkani, and we talked about the health benefits of chia seeds and easy ways to serve them to your kids. If you missed it, definitely check it out because there are a lot of great ideas you'll want to try. So I'm so excited for today's episode because we're talking about baby-led weaning with two of the leading experts in the field. Baby-led weaning has become really trendy in recent years, but it's actually not a new idea. What is new is this idea of adapted baby-led weaning for babies who have developmental delays and feeding challenges. By allowing babies to make that decision to pick something up and take it to their mouth, we give them control over what they eat and how fast they eat it and how quickly they progress to the next stage. With this approach, We follow all the same principles of traditional baby-led weaning, and it's child-directed, it's social, everyone eats together, but we make adaptations based on what level the child is at and what type of support they need. That's Dr. Jill Rapley, who is the pioneer of baby-led weaning, and Jill Rabin, a pediatric speech pathologist and an international board-certified lactation consultant who developed the adapted baby-led weaning approach. We talk about what adapted baby-led weaning is, how it works, and why it's so beneficial for kids with feeding challenges and the entire family. We also talk about tools that can help make feeding easier and how to get family members and caregivers on board. Whether your kids have feeding challenges or not, I know you're going to love this interview with Dr. Jill Rapley and Jill Rabin. Jill and Jill, welcome to the podcast. Thank Hi, you. thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. We were just talking offline about how do we how do we talk to Jill and Jill and introduce each other because I've never had two Jills on on the podcast before. So <laughs> so Jill Raven, why don't you go ahead and talk about your story and your journey uh, and how you work with clients today? Absolutely. I would love to do that. So I am a speech pathologist and a board certified lactation consultant, and I currently reside in the Chicago area where I have a private practice. Uh, I was originally educated in Boston. I've been here and working with infants to three-year-olds for 36 years. And I was hospital-based, both as a speech pathologist and lactation consultant. And I also worked in special care nurseries with really tiny preemies at a few of the hospitals that I've worked at. And now in my private practice, I primarily do feeding through Early Intervention, which is a state program where I evaluate and provide ongoing services to children with all types of feeding issues. I might work with a complicated breastfeeding dyad where maybe the baby has Down syndrome. Uh, I work with children who are having trouble transitioning to solids. They may be aversive to food. So I see a large variety of different babies with complicated feeding issues, but I also see babies with communication issues with, with speech and language delays as well. And I have been using this method um, that I now refer to as adapted baby-led weaning. And I've been doing this since 2010. And Jill and I have really known each other um, through emailing over all those years. And we didn't uh, really decide about writing this book together until about a year ago. I'm from the UK. I live in Southeast, uh, not too far away from London. 
for many, many years, I was a health visitor, which is a little like a public health nurse. It doesn't exist in very many countries as, a, as an occupation. Um, basically, you're a trained nurse first, and then you do an, an extra year's training. And the main focus of the role is on maintaining health, promoting good health, and the early detection of when things aren't going right. So a health visitor visits all families with children under five. So my uh, perspective is a lot more broad than, than my colleague Jill Rabin's in that I really didn't see an awful lot of kids with issues. I've also been a lactation consultant and breastfeeding counsellor. Um, and I spent many years being fascinated by breastfeeding and what babies could teach us uh, by observing them. And then I kind of saw that the same things applied to the introduction of solid foods. And I found that so often babies had the answers when parents were going through difficulties and finding it tough. Um, Jill Rabin contacted me some years ago now and told me how she was uh, doing a version of what I had uh, described as baby-led weaning, which I can talk a little more about. But um, I was really excited to hear about the work she was doing with kids with feeding difficulties. And uh, I had told her uh, about maybe 18 months ago, you really should write this up, Jill. This is such exciting stuff and it needs to be documented. And she said that she would try and find somebody to write a book with. And and I said, you know, maybe I could do that. <laughs> I had, I'd already written a couple of books with another colleague, Tracy Merkitt, and I love writing. And uh, so our partnership was born. But, you know, the crazy thing is we've still never met in person. We only know wow. each other through through Zoom and email and so on. So I'm really looking forward to that day when we can get together. So, you know, we've heard a lot about baby led weaning in recent years. And so for moms or pregnant moms, new moms who don't know what that is, can you explain it? So baby led weaning is just an approach to the introduction of solid foods that looks at the baby's role and the baby's experience. Um, for many years, as I said, I encountered uh, parents who were struggling with introducing solids. And by the way, weaning encompasses the introduction of solids as well as the the end of, of breast or formula feeding it's 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 got a wide scope that phrase it means the, the whole lot and that so that can take many months and sometimes a year or two um, but my focus was on the beginning of the weaning period and the the very early solid feeding and I met a lot of parents who were struggling and very often I found that the answer was simply to give the control to the baby and then I started questioning why we ever took that control away in the first place. And at the time when I was beginning this thinking, that we were introducing solids routinely from about four months onwards. And so the idea of self-feeding was great from, say, six months onwards, but it really wasn't applicable at four months. Everything came together when the World Health Organization changed their recommendation and said, really, we don't, babies don't need other foods until six months plus. And at that point, I was able to bring together what I knew from my health visiting experience and my training in child development, which was the knowledge that um, at six months, basically, you've got a different baby than you have at four months. At six months, babies can sit up, they can reach, they can grab. I'm talking about typically developing babies, as we'll hear from Jill later, that's slightly different for babies who have challenges, but that the 
typical child development means that babies have the skills they need to pick up food, to take it to their mouth. They're also beginning to chew. And so I questioned whether whether it made any sense to be pureeing their food for them still at that age or to be spoon feeding them. And in fact, always, even when we were introducing solid foods from as early as three months, still by about six months, parents were encouraged to start introducing finger foods. So in a way, this was nothing new. The difference was that you didn't need to do the, the purees and so on first. And by allowing babies to make that decision to pick something up and take it to their mouth, we give them control over what they eat and how fast they eat it and how quickly they progress to the next stage. And they're able to manage that according to their level of development. And that's what translates so well into the concept of adapted baby-led weaning. Baby-led weaning is not just about the sort of the shape of the food and so on, though. It's also about making sure the food is healthy, sharing meal times with the family rather than the kind of more conventional way of getting the baby fed so that everyone else can sit down and allowing the baby to reduce their milk feeds in their own time as their appetite gradually builds. How has baby led weaning evolved through the years? So in 2001 was when I first started talking about something that I called baby-led weaning. And it's important to stress that I didn't invent this. It's actually been done throughout the world, throughout the generations, by many, many, many families. But they didn't have a name for it. And so it couldn't be discussed. It couldn't be shared between parents. It couldn't be researched because uh, mostly people who were doing it were in the closet because it didn't fit with what they were being advised by their healthcare professionals. So I helped it to come out of the closet and it resonated immediately, mainly with parents. They just ran with it. I didn't have to do anything really to publicize it except talk about it whenever I was invited to conferences and so on. And thank goodness for the internet. Everything has happened at the right time for this, it seems. That's how it spread. It just kind of went viral, I guess. Um, and parents passed on the idea to other parents. And whereas with a, a baby who has feeding difficulties, you do need professional guidance and support to implement adapted baby-led weaning. Regular baby-led weaning is easy to do um, just by yourself with your baby. Professionals were a little bit slower to get on board. Um, but gradually over the years, researchers have become interested in looking at baby led weaning, now, especially now it's become clear it's just not going away because parents are into it and they ask about it and they want more information. And although it's very difficult to do like randomised controlled trials, which are the gold standard of research, where you would allocate some babies to baby led weaning and other babies to a conventional spoon feeding approach and then see what the differences were, that's very difficult to do because... People implement things to different degrees and it's it's uh, something that involves a commitment from the parents, which is hard to engineer. But what we do know from observation type research is that baby led weaning is not harmful. It, there's no greater risk of iron deficiency or choking. It does seem to lead to greater enjoyment of food, less picky eating, uh, greater consumption of fruit and vegetables. So all the pointers are there that it's uh, that it's a good thing. Um, and it's really exciting to see that take shape. Something that is perhaps worth pointing out is that we don't actually have any uh, specific evidence to support spoon feeding and purees in babies of six months. 
It's something that was done for pragmatic reasons. It was just custom and practice and common sense. If you're trying to get food into a baby of three or four months who can't uh, feed themselves then and, and who doesn't have chewing skills, then you're going to have to spoon feed them and you're going to have to give them purees. But at six months, those things don't apply. And yet there's not been any research done to to convince us that spoon feeding and purees are needed. And the evidence from what we see is that they simply aren't. Somebody said to me recently, we should stop calling it baby led weaning. This should just be the way babies are introduced to food. And we should refer back to the old idea of spoon feeding as purees as, as something weird. Um, because actually in our whole kind of history, the spoon feeding and purees are a very small blip in our overall development as, as, a, as a species. And this idea of adaptive baby led weaning, I think is just so important because it's not being talked about. There's a whole population of parents who have children with developmental delays and special feeding challenges, and we're not we're not providing this information to them. So what are the feeding challenges that can come up for families? There are lots of different challenges, and they could be with children who have a diagnosis and that we know there's there's known feeding issues with those populations such as Down syndrome, something called Pratt or Willie. There's lots of different syndromes that we know there's associated feeding difficulties. We also might see it in children who are born preterm who have extremely complicated medical backgrounds that can cause issues in eating. But some of the things that we might see, some of those solid food feeding challenges would be children who have no interest in eating food, children who gag or vomit in response to food. They, they can't tolerate texture or pieces in their mouth. They have difficulty chewing. Um, there's just some children that won't touch food. There's so many different things that can occur that makes that transition to solids from six to 12 months more complicated. And it's really hard, especially when there's a parent who has a child with no known, no syndrome, no etiology that could be causing an issue. And all of a sudden they get to solids and they're expecting this journey to be super easy. And all of a sudden they have a child who doesn't want to eat. So there's lots of things that could pop up. And I think it's important that you that you talked about that because there are kids who have the we, the known developmental delays, the medical conditions, and then there are a lot of parents who struggle with feeding. And so, do we know how common that is? Um, I think it. You know, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I do think now that you know, just like just like everything, we've gotten better at diagnosing things earlier. So with early intervention, which is a program that starts at, from infancy and goes up till three years of age, you know, we, we catch a lot of these feeding issues very early on. If we have somebody who's having breastfeeding or bottle feeding issues from the get-go, that might be a red flag that when it comes time for transitioning to solids, that that baby may struggle a little bit. So we catch them earlier. And I also think that we're seeing higher incidence of autism now in our society. And we know that with autism, that there are associated feeding difficulties for sure. So it may be that we're seeing more feeding issues in children that have not yet been diagnosed with autism. So I think that's a big factor as well. I think um, there's a, a kind of an, an undercurrent of generally the weaning period being a difficult one. Many parents approach it with dread, whether their child has a recognized difficulty or not. For many, it's not a smooth path and it can start off great and then there can be problems or there can be issues at the beginning. And it was those sort of things that I was seeing way back with, I would say, 
Gosh, at, at least 50% of the families are visited, and that's without any underlying uh, syndrome or medical condition. It was just a struggle, and I think a lot of that is because it's a, it becomes a power battle between the parents and the baby. It's, it becomes all about getting food into the baby rather than standing back and, and thinking about the experience the baby's having. So I think it's actually really, really common for parents to find this period difficult. Absolutely. And and so what are some of the signs that a parent might experience when there's feeding difficulties? Um, well, I actually, um, I have a family member going through that right now um, with their child where this child just has no interest in touching the food. If you, uh, if you hand her a spoon, you hand her any food, she'll play with it within her hand and she'll look at it, but she'll drop it off the side of the high chair. She turns away from it. So those are some of the things that you see. You might see excessive gagging with the food, even, even smooth foods, any type of food. There's, there's lots of different signs like that that you might see. But I'd say one of the biggest things is the refusal and the very extreme sensory gagging response in response to bringing food to their mouths. And so if this isn't identified early on, what can happen down the line? That's a very good question. So what can happen down the line is just like Jill said, what happens is when your child doesn't eat, the parent feels pressure. And the more pressure the parent feels, the more pressure the, the parent puts on the child. So that's when you get parents trying to push in food, push food on their babies. They start trying to do more parent-directed feeding. They start trying to push more volume. So when that baby is turning away and giving you a no, those parents keep trying out of fear because they're so concerned that their baby isn't eating. So it can really, really develop into what's called a feeding aversion where that child gets put in their high chair and they start to gag or cry and try to get out of the high chair. So it can get very, very bad when, when the parents start to push too much and the baby feels that pressure. And, and then you have a very complicated feeding relationship. Yeah, that sounds so difficult. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into what adapted baby led weaning actually is. If mealtimes are stressful and you just can't get your kids to eat what you make, then you've got to get them in the kitchen. Cooking with my kids has really gone a long way in encouraging them to try new foods and eat their veggies. But most of us aren't chefs, and that's why I love the Kids Cook Real Food e-course. This course was created by a mom of four and a former elementary school teacher, and it's for kids ages two to teen. You'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping list, and kid-friendly recipes. The course also has a ton of substitutions, so if your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, they've got you covered. My daughters and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. All you have to do to sign up is go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. Most of the time, I don't even know why I cook meals because all my kids want are snacks. But finding healthy snacks with real food ingredients that are also affordable isn't always easy. And that's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. 
Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids are all about the Lara bars and the Go Raw cinnamon snacking seeds. Thrive Market also has essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products like Truce, which is one of my favorite cleaners. And they also have clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. So what is adapted baby led weeding? What are the benefits? And is it a new idea? Actually, it's new to other people. It's not new to me or to Jill because Jill has been hearing about it since 2010. I watched a DVD of Jill's approach that a colleague handed me the DVD, you know, in 2010. And I was absolutely blown away watching these babies eat all the foods that their family was eating by themselves. And I thought, how do I take that method and apply it to the babies that I'm working with? Because, you know, I I do see a lot of children with Down syndrome. That's a specialty area for me. And what I would see with those babies is they were being spoon-fed by an adult through their toddler years. They were doing no self-feeding. So I started you know, working with it and trying to come up with good ideas on how I could get these babies to feed themselves safely so they could do a version of baby-led weaning until their core strength and their hand-to-mouth skills improved and they could begin to feed themselves with their hands and their fingers just like their neurotypical peers. And that's how it started. So I really started doing that in 2010 and using different devices that we refer to as bridge devices. And it's really evolved over the years. I originally referred to it as modified baby led weaning, but I then later changed the name with Jill Rapley's help and we changed it to adapted baby led weaning. And and with this approach, we follow all the same principles of traditional baby led weaning and it's child directed, it's social, everyone eats together but we make adaptations based on what level the child is at and what type of support they need. A feeding therapist might need to be involved to kind of guide the parents on on appropriate foods to pick in terms of shape, size, and texture. We, We have a really strong focus on posture and seating to make sure the baby is positioned well. Uh, Sometimes we have to start later if it's a child who has developmental delays because they may not be ready to start solids right at six months, which is generally when we recommend doing solids. We might have to use an easier texture like a mashed table food for a while until that baby can handle foods that that yield pieces. So we make a lot of adaptations to help that baby self-feed and we always do it responsibly, meaning we never push or force. We always watch the baby's cues. We only help them guide their hand to their mouths if they're giving us an indication that they want to eat that food. It's very much child-directed we just sometimes have to help them out a little bit in the beginning. And is there research to support this? Is there anything that shows that, that it improves feeding for babies? Well, there is, there is research, and Jill, Jill Rapley can talk a lot about the research with traditional baby-led weaning and how you know, we, we really see children who are learned to eat this way, eating a larger variety of foods, developing better chewing skills. And I will say that, you know, as Jill said, you know, the therapists and the professionals were the last ones on board 
the, the people that were on board first were the parents. And there is an, a very active Instagram called at Able Appetites, and it's for children with Down syndrome and using a baby-led approach. And the two moms that started this Instagram both have a child with Down syndrome, and they had seen a lecture that I had given on my approach. And then they started this Instagram to educate other parents. And I really think it took hold. And it's amazing to see how many babies are now doing this approach. And I think now slowly because of our book and because Jill and I have been lecturing to professionals, I feel like now the dietitians and all the feeding therapists are really getting on board with this approach now. I can tell you anecdotally that my patients that learn to eat this way I find that they have better skills when it comes to play and attention because they've been using their hands and fingers and hand to mouth for six months, more so than other children that are fed by an adult. So when it's time for them to play and and use their hands and fingers with, with toys, I find that they have a better attention span because they have better skills and they don't get as frustrated as a result of learning to eat that way. And so can you talk through some of the core elements of it? What is it? What are some strategies? Okay, so um, core elements are, again, we make those adaptations in the beginning, sometimes with kids who have very, you know, strong motor difficulties where they have trouble getting their hands to their mouths. We'll use a preloaded spoon. So we use a spoon that has a flat bowl. So when that spoon gets to their mouth, it's easy for the baby to remove that food with their mouth. And we might facilitate that by holding their wrist with one hand and the bottom of the spoon to the other, and we gently guide it to the baby's mouth. Until we do that with enough frequency and the baby gets strong enough that they start to do it themselves. We also use these these things called silicone feeders. And what they are is they almost look like a pacifier with little holes in them with handles. And we can put different foods in there that come out easily. Like we might put some chunks of avocado in there and the baby can hold the handles. And when they gnaw on it with their gums, the food comes out of the holes on the top. So they're rewarded for their efforts. They're working on chewing and they're able to feed themselves as sometimes it's hard for them to hold foods in their hand because they're too slippery and they're, they're lacking that hand to mouth skill. The other thing that we do is we use a lot of strips. We refer to them as starter strips or food teethers. And those are firm strips of food that the baby can gnaw on and work on their jaw strength and desensitize their gag. It works on side to side tongue movement, which is a pre-chewing skill. And it really helps get that baby prepared to start eating real food that's eventually going to yield pieces that they're going to need to chew. We mentioned bridge devices before. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what role they play? Yeah. So some of the bridge devices, sometimes a bridge device is used to help a baby actually bring food to their mouth. So that preloaded spoon and that silicone feeder, those would be bridge devices that can help babies bring foods to their mouths. Also, they can be a bridge to chewing. So for example, if you have a baby who needs to work on their chewing skills, we can put different foods in the silicone feeder. So we might first start with avocado that comes out easily. Then we might move to like a strawberry that they'd have to exert more jaw pressure to get anything to come out. Then we might move to meat or chicken, which takes even more jaw strength. So we can use it as a bridge to chewing. We also use something called frozen straws. So we take a silicone straw that we cut in half and we use a syringe to inject them with yogurt or some type of puree and we freeze them. And then the baby holds that, so that silicone straw, just like a, a food strip. And when they gnaw or bite on it, they work on their chewing skills, but it also the, the frozen food on the inside starts to defrost. So again, they're, they're rewarded for their chewing skills. So it's a bridge to self-feeding and it's also a bridge to chewing. 
And so is your approach also, um, does it require that other caregivers, family members get on board with this? Yes, I, you, you really have to train everybody how to do this and how to do it safely. And I think also what you really have to train is that these babies can do this themselves. You don't need to feed them. And you know, a lot of people, especially if your child is having weight gain issues or feeding issues, parents and caregivers are so worried about the weight gain piece and they, they tend to try to push a little bit more food or take one more bite. So we have to do a lot of training on how to work on that responsive feeding piece where the baby is really the one in charge, not us. And so for people who really need help with this, who do they turn to to get help with this? Um, well, they can, they can get help a couple of ways. You know, they could look at Jill and Tracy Merkett's book just to understand the principles of, of, of baby-led weaning, traditional baby-led weaning. But to get help with this, uh, I do have the book with Jill Rapley that we did together called Your Baby Can Self-Feed Too. And I also have two online courses that parents and professionals can watch that really teach you and take you through the steps of doing this. And so if for a parent that has already started solids and but they're doing purees, how do they transition then to baby led weaning? A lot depends on the age of the baby. Um, and let's assume from my background that this is a typically developing baby. Jill can tell us for other babies whether that's different. Um, but there are really a couple of options. The, the important thing is to recognize that most babies do want to feed themselves. Not many babies are happy to be passively spoon fed. Some don't mind being spoon fed, but given the option, they will usually want to pick up food and, and take it to their mouth themselves. So simply starting by including them in family mealtimes and cutting food in shapes that they can grab and, and hold, which would tend to be uh, sticks of food or strips of food, roughly like an, an, an adult finger. Um, and it needs to be quite long because it needs to stick out beyond the baby's fist if the baby is around six months old, because uh, at that age, they're not very good at opening their fist to get at what's inside it. So they need a handle to hold and a bit sticking out to munch on. Um, if the baby is much older, then they may already be able to manage smaller pieces of food. But it's really about offering them the opportunity and seeing what they what they can do and what they want to do. And if the baby's in control, then they will be able to let their parent know whether they also want to be have some purees for a little while as a sort of um, overlap. But very many, really within the space of a weekend, can turn around to feeding themselves. And I know Jill has seen similar rapid progress with babies who have feeding issues. That's yes. great. Over a weekend. I mean, right, so many other things when you have a kid with special needs take a long, a long time to work through. Yes, I, I think too with children with special needs that sometimes, you know, you get kind of stuck into a pattern. And I think the important thing is, you know, I have parents that come to me and their baby's 12 months old and they are not feeding themselves at all. And sometimes the main thing to do is just to reassure the parents and, and not to make them feel, you don't want them to be nervous because if they're feeling pressure, they're going to put pressure on the baby. So important things to do in the beginning is really just have the baby sitting with you and letting the baby watch you eat maybe having them on your lap while you're eating something, that's a great way to start. And then a way to, to get babies to touch food sometimes is having them feed you. So they pick up a strip of food and they, they feed it to mom or dad and they think that's very funny. Or you let them play with food on their tray with their hands and you model bringing that food to your own mouth with your fingers or you know just um, handing food to you or putting food in a bowl. 
So there's lots of non-pressure ways that you can get that baby to interact with food and slowly work to that child beginning to feed themselves. That's great. And and so when you have a child in daycare or with a caregiver, and maybe that's a grandparent oftentimes, how do you get them on board with this? Um, I think it's really exciting. I think a lot of grandparents initially when I go and do home visits, they think what I'm doing is crazy and dangerous. <laughs> but then when, when they see how that child learns to eat and, and how they're doing, I think it's, it's really life-changing for everybody. But I think if you start with easier foods, so if you are doing like a yogurt on the tray, grandparents are not going to worry. It's going to be messy because they're going to use their hands and bring it to their mouths. But the parents are not going to be as nervous about that because it's not really a choking hazard when you're doing that type of texture food. The other thing, too, is when we have children who are more neurodivergent and might need a little more help, if they're at daycare, we can always use a silicone feeder because that, again, you, you lessen the risk of choking with something like that or doing strips of foods that don't yield pieces. There's lots of different ways that you can do it so the daycare or any caregiver can feel safer with presenting food that way to the baby. Great. Well, this was fascinating today, Jill and Jill. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Uh, for me, they can go to my professional Instagram. Um, again, it's at Jill Rabin, A-B-L-W. They can also visit my website, which is almost up and running, and that will be www.jillrabin.com. They can read um, mine and Jill Rapley's book, Your Baby Can Self-Feed Too, and it's in print and audio. For people who don't have time to sit down and read a book, they can listen to it. And I do teach a class once a month on a Saturday for parents on how to do this approach. And I I get people from all over the world that attend this class. When it comes to regular baby led weaning, um, I can be contacted and there's some information on my website, which is rapleyweaning.com. Well, Jill and Jill, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. With so many more kids being diagnosed with developmental delays, this is really important work. And it was such a privilege to have Dr. Rapley and Jill Rabin on the podcast today. Be sure to head on over to their websites and follow them on social to learn more. Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'll see you next week.